0: So this is one of those charming stories in the Bible, isn't it? This lovely countryside, you can imagine this beautiful, uh, sunny day, mild, not too hot, and because it's springtime, of course, and so the ewes have all been lambing, and some of them have little tiny lamb twins, and there's even one little tiny lamb triplet, and all the other sweet little bleating lambs. And our storybooks, our Bible storybooks give us this beautiful, beautiful lamb that we can just love, and, and, and when we imagine that this lamb gets lost, we get so worried about it, and we imagine this shepherd is this wonderful sort of gentle person who, um, who just wraps themselves around us, and whether we're a toddler or a tween or a little lamb, If we get lost, we know that there will be somebody who knows that we are lost even even as it happens, that we're never really alone because always the shepherd knows and keeps track of us. I remember uh, as a little child occasionally getting lost in the grocery store or the store, and it was a very disconcerting moment, right? You think you're with everybody, and then you turn to reach your hand out to grab the hand of the adult near you that you think is your mother, and you look up, and it's somebody you have no idea who they are. And it's terrifying, isn't it? It's like your heart starts thumping and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm alone and I'm lost. And you start wandering around, looking through the racks, through the long, empty corridors. Where is mom? So... Those storybooks and that little lost child, such a worthy lamb, so worthy and innocent, deserving of God's time and love and attention. This is the storybook lamb that pulls on our heartstrings so that we want to be the rescuer, that we too feel called to protect the innocent. We too would climb a cliff in order to get to the rocky outpost cheering on those who would come to the rescue of such an innocent one. And then this lends this iconic image of Jesus as the good shepherd who drapes the lamb across his shoulders and safely walks the lamb back home. This is the story, as I received it as a child, the story... That is in our storybooks, and uh, it comforts us. We we sometimes, though, wonder what happens if we think about this story a little differently. What happens when our hurt, frightened, and lost little sheep, so sweet, is in actuality a (laughs) hard-smoking... (laughs) hard-drinking, <laughs> unapologetic, disrespectful malcontent. I'm pretty sure that's hardball whiz- fireball whiskey he's got there in his hoof. It's harder to feel all those soft, lovely feelings for this guy. <clears throat> what if this guy gets lost? Perhaps maybe that's what we want, right? The rest of us are trying to lead a storybook life. And maybe part of us does want this guy to just get lost. How do you even care for a sheep like that? When it comes to shearing time, you can bet that, in general, this guy and his buddies, they're not going down without a fight. And it calls that lovely, peaceful image of the sheep draped over the shoulders of the shepherd into question as commentators as Amy Jill Levine has pointed out sheep don't particularly like getting carried around like that their legs kind of trapped up under the neck and their bodies kind of hanging out the back imagine there'd be some kind of struggle going on this isn't going to be comfortable what if and I'm just throwing this out there what if sheep Jesus is ta- the sheep Jesus is talking about in the story of the lost sheep is not so innocent. After all, Jesus mentions sin and repentance. We know what the Jesus inside our storybooks look like, but what if the Jesus outside our storybooks, maybe that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we have two more Sundays to explore the series of Cain and Abel. And so let's return to Cain and Abel for a few minutes. The story of Cain and Abel comes to us right at the beginning of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 4, immediately after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve start a family right outside Eden and build a home together. They take great pride in their firstborn son whom they name Cain. And a little later on, a next son, Abel, is born. Cain and Abel grow up in ancient times before recorded history. They are part of our founding legends, and for thousands of years, the wise and unwise of our traditions have grappled with their story. Cain grew up to be a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. And one day they brought their offering to God. Cain brought an offering from the land, perhaps flax seeds, and Abel brought the choice cuts of a first lamb. God chose favor to Abel and his offering, but God does not show favor to Cain or his. And we do not know why this Is the first turn of the story as commenters try to fill in the blanks for us with great enthusiasm, telling us that Cain was bad and undeserving or that his sacrifice was below par. But it's important to remember that at this point there has been no reason to suspect Cain at all. What we do learn about Cain comes later in the story when Cain feels that God has favored Abel unfairly and not himself, who is the older son, and he is resentful and angry. He expects the place of honor. And again, we are not told why, just that it happened. Cain stews with resentment, and God approaches him with a warning. Cain, beware. Sin lies just outside the door. Lead a quiet life. Continue to do the right thing. If so, good things will come. But if you are not careful, sin will come in. You must be the master of it. While I was scrolling through images for this series, I came across one that made me pause. This gentleman came up. Now, we are not looking at a picture of Cain, of course, but this photo by Simon Canellan of some actual person I don't know. It made me stop and pause. Maybe it is the starkness of the black and white. Maybe it is the aloneness of the figure. Maybe it's the scrapes, the dirt. I imagine there must be bruises. The eyes, the brow may be inquisitive, maybe not, maybe hopeful, maybe wondering. He is engaged with something. I look at this image and I think about the rest of the Cain and Abel story, how Cain does not listen to God. Instead, Cain nurses the resentment and the slights that he feels. And so he calls Abel, his brother, out into the field. And there, Cain attacks Abel and kills him. This is the first sin and the first murder. Its repercussions are immediate. The blood of Abel, his life, and the life of his children, and children's children, a line that will not be, seeps into the ground. Their voices call out to God. Cain is expelled farther still from Eden to the land of Nod, the land of wandering. He is to be a wanderer, an exile. Cain cries out in pain to be exiled and he feels that he will be a target to be killed by others. And so in addition to seeing the first sin and the first deep pain connected with it, we also see the first justice and the first mercy. Mercy. God places a mark of protection on Cain. Cain was still a child of God, and God will not allow more violence for violence' sake. This is not a path we are invited to go down. Despite Cain's crime, God promises to protect him sevenfold, to defend him from those who would harm him. And Cain marries, and he lives an earthly life. His children become musicians and artisans and metal workers. Others of his line, like Lamech, become boastful, violent men, tribal men, and warlords. The Bible describes him without any sugarcoating. This is the story From outside the storybooks, when Lamech says to his wives, listen to my voice, wives of Lamech, pay close attention to my words. I killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. So Cain will be paid back seven times, and Lamech, 77 times. Lamech uses God's mercy to boast of his violence, It is a violence that dares to plumb how deep God's mercy will go, declaring that God protects even him and his life too, even though he is more violent ten times more than his great-great-great-grandfather, Cain. God's radical mercy is hard to fathom. After finding this picture of Cain, I had to... Now I was like, wow, I stumbled on this one. There's got to be a picture of Abel out there. Well, this is what I found that resonated for me. The blue background, I think, is part of it. Sort of sky, celestial, the sun who didn't have a chance to live the possibilities and promises of his life the far-off look in his eyes as if he is already pulling away. He is youthful and strong, so much potential, lost to violence. He has the look of the innocent about him, back to that lamb. We want to cast Abel as the innocent. And we must remember that our story leaves a lot unsaid. We make a lot of assumptions. And next week, we're going to talk about the assumption there. But today, he makes me think of the realness of loss. (coughs) Excuse me. in part a video, and now is the time, which seems like a good timing to me. It is a video from The Guardian, and it is about the gang members in El Salvador. I have, It's originally a 12-minute video, and I've cut it down to five minutes, a little under, so it'll seem maybe it's sometimes a little clipped. But it offers, I believe... A real example of what God's radical mercy can look like.
1: We are not the typical Christian. We have done a lot of things, bad things.
2: Cordocenas que se están saliendo de la fila de las pandillas buscando el camino. El correcto que es los brazos del Señor. Para nosotros siguen siendo el
1: pandillero.
2: The hundreds of men you see here enthusiastically praying in prison were once part of the Brutal Street Gang MS-13 in El Salvador spearheaded by a burgeoning evangelical movement <coughs> in the country. They have all converted to Christianity.
1: Caso nosotros estamos en un penal, pero en el caso de salir de aquí del penal hacia afuera, hay muchas tentaciones, pero sabemos de que nosotros somos hijos de Dios y de que mejor si podemos vamos a ayudar. we will Porque ya cambio lo hizo Dios. Porque sabemos de que el hombre podemos esconder, pero del ojo de
2: Distrito Italia is one of the most notorious MS-13 controlled neighborhoods. It is so violent that government employees refuse to enter to provide services. Pastor William Adias, a longtime member of MS-13 who converted to Christianity, runs a small church inside the community. Here we have six years of Seis Six years six, years. six years. The family has three Uno One of them is En la cárcel, el hospital, y el final, en la muerte, el tercero, y la única salida solamente el de Dios. Members of MS-13's rival, the 18th Street Gang, have also turned to God to escape gang life and seek forgiveness. Some former gang members have sought refuge in the Ebenezer Church, where they operate a bakery to survive.
1: Right now, I have 11 guys living here, all of them ex-gang members. When I first got out, like I didn't have a place to go. The, the director and the, the guards, they're telling me there's someone here waiting for you. They're here to pick you up. So I come out the door, I see them. They're telling me they, they were sent by a church. Next time you know, when I got here, they had a meal. He comes pastor and he was like, we heard what God is doing in there. And We're here to help you." And I was like, whoa, I never had a family. (laughs) I never had nobody waiting for me, you know, when I got out of prison, not even in the States. And over here, people that didn't even know me, they were waiting for me. The way they received me inspired me and gave me strength to continue on the right path. So that lesson right there you know, gave me an idea, and I was like, why not do the same with others? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. On this day, Juan has just arrived, freshly released from prison after serving time on a host of charges, including murder and extortion. Juan is welcome to the program during a church service.
1: We are not the typical Christian. Over here, you have people. They've done a lot of things, bad things. So in order for us to have a control or a secureness, we got to make sure that these people is really Christian. And how we do that? By having rules based on the Bible. Like over here, you're not allowed to do no crime. If I find out that you're doing something illegal, you're getting out of here. When I first became Christian, it was only about, what, 90 of us? 70 of us, probably less. Now it's over 1,500 ex-gang members worshiping God in prison, a whole prison number Christians. Something's happening. <laughs> Something's really happening, you know. I would recommend that...
0: Uh You look at the full 12 minutes online if you Google Guardian and the only way out to El Salvador, you will find it. And you can see from the video that we are talking about people for whom there would be no redemption, that we can't imagine that these these folks aren't outside of God's love, outside of God's grace. And yet, like the boast of Lamech, we find that God loves them 77 times seven. Because of God's mercy, because Jesus loved sinners, that difficult word, the best of us and the worst of us have a chance to live a good and worthy life. God's love for us, God's willingness to defend our lives even even when we belong to the most violent street gang imaginable that transforms our human trajectory there are no sheep so lost that they are outside of god's love not even murderers so what are your sins Can you dare to hold that word gently, without feeling fully condemned, but instead just willing to face the truth of the times when maybe you could have done better? The times maybe where you hold on to slights and resentments. We don't let go in part because we believe that it is not forgivable not to be the sweet, lovely lamb. If we do not pretend to be innocent, nobody's gonna come for us. And we really will be outside of God's love. But the story like the lost sheep, stories like Cain and Abel, the miracles of right now show us different. That God's mercy is radical, And its depth is unfathomable. (coughs) That all things are indeed possible in God. Amen.